0: I was reading and came across this story about Billy Graham. Uh, Graham Keith was Billy Graham's treasurer and longtime friend. One day he went into an elevator with Billy and another gentleman was in the elevator as well. To which the gentleman looked over and says, hey, you're Billy Graham, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm he. "Okay," the man said, well, you're truly a great man. You're truly, truly a great man. I'm, I'm, I'm awed that I'm here in this elevator with you. And Billy Graham turned to the man and he says, no, I'm not a great man. I have a great message. I'm not a great man, but I have a great message. And as we're getting close to Christmas, we look around we look within our families, we look within our society, within our culture, on social media, we look at the news, we can just look around and realize that we're in a world that's in desperate need of hope, aren't we? We live in a world that is in desperate need of hope and we have great news, we have a great message to share. We might not be great men and women, but we do have great message to share. We do have that. We have something that we can say to the brokenhearted, to the broken down, to the hurting, to the oppressed, to the addicted, to the struggling. We have something to say to the worried. We have the message that we can say in confidence that there is hope and Jesus Christ is that hope. He's the one that came at Christmas. He arrived at the Advent. He is the one that we can declare as the one full of hope. He came and he brings that hope today. He continues to bring that hope now and he will continue to do so throughout this Christmas season. And I believe that as we gather in this room, as we get together for Christmas celebrations, that we are not supposed to just you know, take that in for ourselves and receive that and marvel in it and just rejoice and recount the wonders of it all, but that we are to share that and proclaim that hope that we have found to everyone around us. With Christmas just a couple weeks away, We've been drawing attention to the incarnation, to Jesus Christ becoming Emmanuel, God with us, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, moving into the neighborhood and becoming our neighbor. We are looking at the greatest rescue mission that exists where Jesus says, I'll put on flesh and come and reconcile them to you, Father. I will make a way where there is no way. And last week, we began looking in the Gospel of John. So I trust that you'll grab your Bibles and make your way there. to The Gospel of John, that's the New Testament. The fourth gospel that's written by the apostles. This one written by John the Beloved, the evangelist. And for there, we looked last week. Don't mind me just one second. Let me put this thing right here. There you go. We were looking at last week, the first five verses. We started looking at this incarnation, Jesus coming down. And we saw that John begins in quite a different place than Matthew and Luke do. I'm sorry, Mark and Luke. If you look at Mark and Luke, these guys start, you know, with Jesus preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Matthew and Luke start preaching the fact that, um, you know, Jesus, when he came, look at his origins, when he was born and his lineage and all these different things. But then John begins the gospel looking farther back and he goes to the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a light shined in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. All of these incredible theological themes. That is awesome for us who believe in Jesus to know who he is, the identity and deity of Jesus Christ being shared by John. We started looking at that last week and how Jesus Christ stretched back into eternity. Jesus Christ being fully divine and fully man having the power to save the world and reconcile the world, he entered into human history to do something about the issue of sin. We looked at that in the last five verses last week. Today I want us to look in verse 6 through 8. We're going to continue the story and and just share a little bit this morning. If you're looking here at at John chapter 1, verse 6, we got John the evangelist talking about another John, John the Baptist. So this morning, if you're there, say amen. I want us to take a look at this forerunner of Jesus, this man who came, who was heralding and and, and proclaiming some things when it related to the coming of Jesus Christ. As we are getting ready to celebrate Christmas, which is not about presents, it's not about eggnog and Santa Claus and all sorts of things, it's about the arrival of Jesus, what can we learn from the forerunner that came before him? What can we learn in becoming effective, true witnesses for Jesus Christ? So if you're there one more time, say amen. Amen. All right. Here's here's what it says in the word. It tells us God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Father, I thank you for your word in these small verses that there's some truths here that we can glean. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts this Christmas season. And Lord, that we would be effective witnesses for your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If we're to be a faithful witness during this Christmas season, if we do have a message of hope, then I want us to realize and come to the connection that we, to be faithful witnesses, are people realizing that we are sent. Faithful witnesses are sent. John 1.6, there was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. The key word in this verse is the word sent. When a person is sent, there's usually a plan, isn't there? Have you ever gone on an errand? Anyone ever ask you to run an errand for them? Yeah, yeah, some of you. Right, like my wife might say to me, hey honey, could you swing by stop and shop or target? Or you might hear someone at home say, hey, can you go into the other room? Typically, additional details will always follow those words, right? I see some folks like laughing and looking at each other because they they become errand boys and girls. Typically, when someone says, hey, you'll do this for me. Can you go to this place? Can you go do this thing? There's usually more details. I've never had Nat say to me, hey, uh, go to Target. And then I call her, honey, I'm at Target. She goes, okay, good, thank you. I'll see you when you get home. Doesn't happen. I don't know if that happens with you. Maybe that was the goal. She just needed me out of the house. Get out of here. Hasn't happened yet. But typically, when someone asks you to do something, there's usually you know, a purpose. You're sent there to a specific place for a specific time for a specific purpose. And you got to go do something for whatever reason. Hey, honey, go to the store. Can you pick up bigger diapers for Charlotte's daycare? Can you oh, also, while you're there, pick up the last ingredients for tonight's supper? Do this. Can you go into the other room and get for me the controller that was left there? I need to change the channel on the TV. Whatever it might be, there's usually additional instructions. And so when a person is sent, there's usually a plan. And thus it was with John. When John the Baptist was sent into the the wilderness, uh, this man had a role that was divine in nature. It was prophesied years before, actually. If you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah... Chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert highway. For our God, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. At just the right time to just the right place, John showed up in the Judean wilderness and he became a witness. He was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. He was sent of God. Somebody say sent. He was sent not just to show up and hang out in the desert. To be there in the Judean wilderness, he was sent to do something and to fulfill something. In the ancient world, an occupying force was primarily bent on having and securing an unlimited amount of people in order to have a large and vast army. They would want to recruit young men, able-bodied men, in order to have their large armies. And it was no different in the Roman army that was occupying, the Jerusalem area, the Judean hills, and all of that region at the time. They needed to have money for their soldiers. And they, so in that case, what they did is they would uh, make sure that there was an unbroken supply of tax revenue in order to fuel the march of that army. They wanted men, they wanted money, and they wanted all of those things to continue on their campaign. Rome needed money for its soldiers and soldiers made sure that the tax collectors were able to get them. I don't know if you guys have watched the, the, the series called The Chosen, but it, it just it, it depicts this really well, how the Romans would, you know, go and protect the tax collectors and be encamped around the tax collectors' boots to make sure that the peace was kept and that the money kept flowing so that they could do what they needed to do. And the reality of all of this Both of these groups, the tax collectors and the Roman soldiers, they were both free. They had free reign to skim as much off the top as they wanted in the whole process. And they did so. They abused the people. People were taxed beyond their their abilities to pay. And some of these very men and women were the ones that John the Baptist was out there proclaiming a message of repentance for. He was there speaking and some of these very Roman soldiers and tax collectors and the people of the religious elite, they showed up in order to hear what this man had to say. Teacher, what shall we do? They would come to John. And John's response was not that they should quit their jobs and change their vocations, but that in the normal course of their duties, that they would treat others fairly, that they would act righteously, that they would behave honorably. That they would live above reproach. And so John didn't advocate political change. He only demanded that the political system, be that Rome or be that the Jerusalem system, that they would simply behave benevolently, govern benevolently, govern with righteousness, govern with justice. And this was bound to anger the folks around him. And it did. It was the kingdom of heaven that was coming near. It wasn't the kingdom of Rome or Jerusalem. It was the kingdom of heaven, and that kingdom required a different type of behavior. It required a different value system. It required that the way be made for the king of kings and lord of lords, and he demanded holiness, righteousness, and he demanded people to behave properly. And so John would advocate this. He made a direct connection between living right In a one-time ritual baptism that signaled that the individual had adopted this new change of heart, this new way of living, this new way of treating people, this new way of doing what was right and not what was wrong, of not taking advantage and abusing and promoting injustices within their society. He wanted to preach this message, and he did so. And that message was one that demonstrated people sincerely repented of their sins. John came for such a reason. And as the geographical roads were being made smooth for kings to travel on and armies to to trot on, and so the people needed to prepare their hearts because the Messiah was coming. And he was coming with a message not of, of overturning the Roman government, but a message of proclaiming the kingdom of God, a new reign that rules right here within man's heart that changes the way we speak and deal and and, and takes it beyond just rules and regulations. He was preparing the way for Jesus. Sent of God. Somebody say, he was sent. He wasn't the only one that was sent, though. If we look at the Old Testament, we see that there has been men and women sent all throughout the course of time. They have been sent time and time again to do something for a specific purpose and reason. The Bible tells us that Abraham was sent, that Moses was sent. It tells us that Joshua, the judges, David, the prophets, Jesus himself, Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God revealed his son to be born of a virgin. He sent Jesus at the right time. Jesus then sends his disciples, and he sends them out. For a purpose and for a reason, there are men and women all throughout the span of history that are sent. And that is no different for us today. As we approach Christmas this season, can you stop and realize I have been sent? I have been sent. Jesus, when he was praying in John chapter 17, he is looking to what is before him and what he's going to be doing. He is approaching the cross. He's going to sacrifice himself for the salvation of mankind. He prays to the Father and he begins to pray for his disciples. Jesus prays that as you have sent me in the world, God, so I have sent them so I send them. You and I are sent into the world. Have you stopped to consider that you have been sent to your workplace? Have you stopped to consider that you have been sent to your home and your family? Yes, your family. We don't pick our family. Our family doesn't pick us either. God sends us to the right place, to the right home, and he has a purpose. God has sent us into our neighborhoods, into our schools. He has uniquely gifted each and every one of us with something that is exactly what is needed for the places in which he sends us. And sometimes we lose sight of that. God has sent us. And the reality is we might want to f- fight that and buck up against it. Sometimes we, we look at this reality and, and all these men and women are sent and the disciples have been sent. Jesus has a plan and a purpose. We think about this and we say, hey, you know what? I need to pray about it. Reality check. You don't have to pray about being sent. Just know that you are. You don't have to ask, God, is it your will that I would go to this person or that person? Is it your will that I would speak of your name? Is it your will, Lord God, that I would do something to represent you? We don't have to think about that. The moment that Jesus Christ has saved us and come into our lives, he's impacted us and he's changed our heart. He has commissioned us and we do not need to deny this truth because it won't be an acceptable line of reason when it comes to standing before God. He's called us to be sent. He's made us so that we would go. And part of our maturing process in Christ, as Paul tells us, is that we are to discern God's will for us. Both uh, for us to to know it, but then to yield to it and live it out and walk it out, commit our lives to, to live that reality. We are sent if we're going to approach Christmas this season, uh, maybe instead of us concerning ourselves with what is the best and perfect gift that I can give a person, we could start thinking about not only, hey, what am I going to buy for this person, this loved one, this family member, but what moment will I have? where I can be sent of God to this person? When, Lord, will you create the, or, the situation where I can be used of you as the sent one to this loved one, family member, colleague, co-worker, classmate, whatever it is? Could we start praying and ask God, Lord, make a way, give me the clarity, give me the understanding, the wisdom that I might be sent of you to this person? Person I love and care for somebody say I'm sent Additionally when we look at John it tells us right here in verse 7 through 8 He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light A faithful witness is a person who will testify somebody say testify John was sent to be a witness. He was sent uh, with a very simple task at hand. It wasn't complex. Because a witness is simply a person who speaks what he has seen or what he has heard. He's a person who has accurately as possible relayed what he has experienced. That is what a witness does. When the priests and the Levites challenge John, if you look just a couple of verses, verse 19 through 25, when they show up questioning John and his identity and his authority, they're asking him about who he is and where he came from and why he can speak in that manner and who he is representing and all of these different things. John didn't take their bait, though. When they came asking and questioning him, he witnessed to Jesus Christ. Look what he says. He says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He connected back to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40. I am he who's making the way straight. And then he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Not long after this proclamation, John goes and he testifies further as he is revealing this coming one, the one who was coming after him. He says such things as this. He goes on to say that, hey, this person is the Lamb of God. When he was out in the Jordan River and he was baptizing the people one day, it came so that Jesus Christ showed up among the people and he came with the purpose of being baptized by the baptizer. And when John laid his eyes on him, he says, behold, the lamb of God, he testified that Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He is the one who testified saying the spirit descended upon him and remained. He is the one that testified saying that he is the one that baptizes in the spirit of of God. He's the one who gives us and gifts us the Holy Spirit. He went on to say and testify. He is the one who is the son of God. John testified and he bore witness that I have come to know something about this man. I have been searching for this man. I have been researching for this man. I have been preparing the way for this man. And I've come to know something about him and something about myself in relationship to him. And I need to make that known. Friends, it's one thing for us to be sent of God. But then it's a whole other thing for us to bear witness to God. I think sometimes we come into this understanding that it's, you know, yes, I'm sent of God. Hooray, excited and sign me up, Scotty. But when the moment is ripe, bearing witness is a whole different story. It's one thing for us to observe. It's another thing for us to speak up. A witness has to testify in order to be efficient. How many of you have seen those crime thriller movies or those courtroom dramas that at the very last moment when when the witness is supposed to come on the witness stand, all of a sudden he or she is not there. Maybe they show up, but they get cold feet and they don't testify of what they know. Or maybe something happens the night before or a couple days before and they are hindered and impeded from testifying. The power of what they can do and accomplish, what is going to impact the truth and reality has to hear the witness being proclaimed. Without that witness actually happening, the outcome could be drastically different. There was a story Lee Strobel tells in his book, "The Case for Christ." He talks about how you know the power of a witness. He he shares about a story uh, back in the day. I forget the names, but the bottom line was this: that a man committed murder, and, and this man was going to be prosecuted. And, and and what happened was that there was these two, there was these uh, kids who had actually seen the murder. They witnessed the murder, and so this man came up with a, a plan with a couple of his friends to go and actually you know execute those kids, so that they would not be able to testify in court. And he tried to do so. But one of them who was shot actually in the head actually survived. He played dead at the moment, and he survived. He became the only one that testified. And because of that, all three men were sentenced to 80-plus years in prison. The power of a testimony, it can change lives. It can change outcomes. It can change the, the future track of a person's life. It's one thing for us to be sent. It's another to be a witness. Some of us might be tempted to say this Christmas, well, uh, sure, I'm sent. Okay, I'll look for opportunities. And then the moment of, uh, of bearing witness, we might say, well, but you know what? I just, I don't think I can do it because I'm not good at it. I just, I just don't know how to. How do I bear witness to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the, the Son of God? How do I do this? How do I bear witness? And we might be tempted to say, I just can't do it. But is that true though? Is it true that we just do not know how to witness? Can somebody say yes or no? Is it true that we don't know how to witness? Well, I think that we're natural-born witnesses. And here's why I say that. If I look at social media, I'll find a whole bunch of us who are witnesses. You know, if we go to a restaurant, we eat something that's delicious, we are natural born witnesses. What do we do? We whip out Yelp and we start saying something on Yelp or social media. Man, this was delicious, phenomenal, A+, plus, five stars. You guys book your reservations today. You don't want to miss out. It is worth the wait. Go to this place and eat this food. And when it's not so bad, it says, "Hey, stay away. Terrible service. Tastes like, you know, dog food. It's not great." I don't know how you know how to compare it to dog food, but that's another story for another day. We are natural born witnesses. We testify all the time. We proclaim and evangelize about the products, the foods, the restaurants, the stores, the places, the the sports, the the vacation destinations, the teams, the players of these teams. We are natural-born evangelizers, and we love to proclaim what we love. And if we look at uh, social media, some of our social medias, that's all it is. It's a public feed of evangelization, evangelization of anything and everything, our political tribe. Our, our, our favorite sports team. It's the place that we evangelize, You know the things that we do on a regular basis, the things that we're watching, the things that we're enamored by. It is the place that we can go and say, you know what, check this out. This is great stuff, or this is terrible stuff. I think that if we are honest, when it comes to sharing Jesus Christ and what he's done, bearing witness to him, I don't think it's a good excuse that we just don't know how. I think that we know we just don't do it in that moment for some odd reason. There's nothing wrong with promoting things that you like, but we are made to be sent by God to declare the majesty of Jesus. Like the psalmist says, I will declare of your marvelous deeds. I will praise the Lord. I will give you glory because of all that you have done. Our goal is to share about Jesus Christ and what he has done, who he is. That people might come to know him and have faith in him. Last, not last night, but the previous night, Mike and I spent... Um, we decided to spend our night in the ER. So, you know, all of us, you know, you've, you've probably had that experience where you just say, you know what, I got nothing else better to do. Let me go spend my night or spend my day in the emergency room. That was, that was us. So we went to the ER... And it was a long night. There was about 60 people there waiting to be treated. And hearing, you know, the people talk about the other hospitals in the region and whatever, and they're like, well, their wait over there is 12 hours. I think I'll stay here. It's only nine. It was a long night. And next to us was sitting a man who couldn't quite speak English. And I was observing him struggle um, to communicate with the nurse. And I had a sense that he spoke Spanish. So I inquired, and it was so he, you know, spoke Spanish. So I began to interpret between them, sharing, you know, what the nurse was saying, and then what he was relating back to her. And we started talking. He was there to undergo some treatment and all that, and thus began as we, you know, talked to the nurse after she left. Afterwards, we talked for about two hours. I came to find out his name and his place of origin, his age, his family dynamics, how many kids, grandkids and, and great grandkids he had and all these different things and, and his health condition. Came to find out that he was there to receive treatment for, for a cancerous tumor on his back and we were talking and as he's sharing, sharing of his hopelessness and the difficulty of his life and what's happening in his world and as he's sharing all of this, just compassion started to flood my heart for this man. And, As if by divine appointment, Micah had fallen asleep on my lap, knocked out. And I'm like, Lord, I guess I know why I'm spending the night here in this hospital. Spending the night in the ER was not my idea. It was not not this man's idea. He had been there since 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I only arrived there at 9. Didn't get home till 5, but that's another story. And so... I realized this is not my plan, not how I would have chosen to to spend my night, but Lord, thank you. You've knocked out my son. He's sleeping. He's all better. There was no issues. We did all the tests and we couldn't find what was wrong. Praise the Lord. I'll take it. But I'm like, Lord, okay. And so I shared with this man the witness of the power, the presence, and the reality of Jesus Christ and how he loves him and cares for him, how he is with them, and he will not abandon him or forsake him, even in the midst of his trial. And I shared with him and this man as as he was there, he was encouraged. And in fact, can, can we just pause for a moment and can we pray for Jose? Lord, I just ask you that you would meet him wherever he is today. Lord, he lives there in Shrewsbury. God, I pray that you would meet him, Lord God, today, whether he's back home or still in the hospital. Lord, we cancel this tumorous growth that's happening in his back and ask you, Lord, that you would move upon him in power and might. That you would fill him with hope, Lord Jesus. Lord, as he's been told, he has this many months to live and that many days and and this is going to be the outcome and the reality of his life. Lord, you have, Lord Jesus, stem the flow and change the plans. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do so in his life that he would come to know you Lord Jesus and just like he said oh you're one of those Christians like my daughter in Texas I pray God that you would put right men and women of faith around him Lord to encourage the word and continue to water the seeds that have been planted in his heart as men and women are praying for him Father I believe that Lord Jesus we will come to see and testify of your goodness in his life save his soul give him peace and hope inside of his mind and Lord God touch his body in your precious name can somebody say amen Amen. Friends, the only eternal son of God is the one who can change our lives, who can transform our lives, who can change the outcome of our circumstances, who can take cancer and make it obsolete and ineffective. He's the only one that can deal with our sin issue. And John was proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who has come to take the sins of the world away. Jesus is the answer to your sin problem, your neighbors, your colleagues, your coworkers. He is the sin answer. He is the one who is here to bring life and bring it to the fullest. He's the one who can make things brand new. And so if we have that message, how dare we not testify of it this Christmas season? There's a world who is lost and broken. I was tempted there. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's been a long day. I started dozing off. When I first met Jose, he was dozing off. And I'm like, do I really want to get into all of this? But as I saw him just being encouraged in the word, you got to realize that you have a responsibility as a sent one of God to bear witness to Christ. Don't worry about doing it perfect. Just start opening your lips and testifying of his goodness. Christmas is not about presents. It's about the savior of the world. Let's testify of who he is. Each of us have people around us every day that we can show the love of Christ to and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, we're not exempt. The question is, will we? Will we share the good news of the gospel of Christ? Will we take seriously our charge to point our community to Christ? Will we leverage our lives, our resources, our time, our talents, our abilities to help people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ? Will we do that? The question is never about opportunity. I believe opportunity is there. It's never about calling. I believe the calling is there. And when when we came to know Jesus Christ, it says, Go, therefore, make make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. It is not a matter of calling. I believe it's always a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. When we're not reaching people as we should, it is not the lost people's fault. We cannot blame dead men for not choosing life, church. But we can blame the carriers of life for not dispensing it to those who are dead. We need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that John was sent of God. I believe that John was a faithful witness because he witnessed, he bore witness, he testified of God. But then also I believe that a faithful witness is one who urges the hearer. John 1 verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. Friends, John was sent and his bearing witness was not simply so that everybody might know, but it was a matter of that people might believe. It's not just about knowing. The goal is not merely educating people, it's not just merely uh, bringing forth an accumulation of data and information. It's not you know, equipping people so that they can be the next whiz at trivial pursuit when it comes to this religion and, and the Bible questions. It's about us really living this thing called transformation. Can someone say amen? It's not merely to inform people, but to persuade people into transformation. It's to lead people into a life change. Information without transformation leads to the wrong destination. That's not what we're leading people towards. When it comes to people standing before God, he's not just going to ask you, how much do you know about me? He's going to ask you, how have you been impacted and changed by me? How has your life been modeled and and transformed and impacted by the truth of my reality and my coming into the world? There is no salvation without saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to see people believe. When John, in the Gospel of John, says the word believe, it's a word that's used 78 times in his Gospel, 24 in this letter. Uh, in, in John's letters, it is interesting that John uh, never uses this word in the, in, the verb, uh, in the noun form, but he always uses it in the verb form. It's about an active, ongoing action. It's about something that we do, not just with our minds, but we do it with our emotion, with our being, with our character. It's a response that is volitional. We have a choice in it. In the Greek term um, that's used to translate the word believe, you always have these words of of, um, trust, faith, and, and believe coming together. It's paralleled with this idea of welcoming him, welcoming and accepting him, the light of the world, into our lives. Salvation is a free gift of grace, of the finished work of Jesus Christ, of what he's accomplished, but it has to be something that people receive. They have to receive it. And so John couldn't make people believe. He knew that. When they asked and questioned him, who are you? He's like, I'm not him. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the one. I'm the one that came before the one. I'm the one testifying. He knew who he was, but he knew the fact that even though I am not him, I am going to do everything within my power to urge you to believe in him. I think sometimes when we come into uh, the, the, the ideas and, thaw- and communications and, and the concepts of evangelizing and witnessing and sharing the good news of the gospel with people, we might be tempted to, to just say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll put it before people and that's it. I did it. I'm all... Awesome. That was hard. I was nervous. I I did it. I spoke it. And now I'm going to walk away. Like, I'm not going to come back around to this person because I'm nervous. What is going to ask me another question or not? John spoke the truth. And he says, I know I can't change people. I know I am not the answer but I'm pointing to the answer and I will harp on this and stay on this and follow back and follow through and I'll do everything within my, I will spend the time, I will put in the effort, I will pay the price, I will pray, I will intercede, I will fast, I will do whatever it is that is necessary that I might urge and might convince and persuade this person from experiencing and believing in the truth. When it comes to us being faithful witnesses, We're not called to just share information in a data dump and move on. But people's lives are hanging in the balance. Are we willing to commit to the hard work of following up and following through? Are we going to ask God, give me creativity, Lord, to, to become better at witnessing to this man or woman? Help me, Lord, I said it this way and I might've dropped the ball and I didn't connect. My example didn't really connect with them, Lord God. I, I, I used the wrong illustration. I fumbled that thing. I, I started talking about this scripture and that scripture and that's not even the point. I'm majoring in the minors instead of majoring in the majors. Lord, help me to refine my message and cultivate my craft and help me prepare for the moment that I see my loved one once again. And I'm together with them on, on, on Christmas Day, exchanging gifts. Give me that window and an opportunity. Help me to better speak it this time, God. Lord, I'm, I'm going to pray this month, and I'm going to come to you seeking that you would move and change their hearts and move upon that person. Lord, I'm praying every day for this loved one that when we come in face-to-face on Christmas... And I have that opportunity. Lord, you've done all the work ahead of time and you've prepared the way that now they can receive and believe. There is work to be done, church. Jesus came after John. John came as the forerunner, preparing the way. He was challenging hearts. He was urging people. He was speaking things that were difficult and true. There was no half measures or excuses. But he was willing to put it all out so that he might urge people. And his urging went even to the point of death. Stop and think about this. John the Baptist, who was proclaimed in the Old Testament, who had an incredible beginnings, if you look at his story in the the book of Luke, is a man who was prophesied. Jesus himself says of John that there is none greater. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, the first one coming into a new age, the age of the church and the Holy Spirit when Jesus would come in and, and do a new work because Jesus was on the scene. This man who was, had such an incredible job and task to be fulfilled is a man who did his ministry in a span of pretty much a year, two tops by some conservative um, reports. Think about that. Your whole life, you've been prophesied. And we would have think, well, you know what, to have an effective ministry, this man's gonna be in ministry for you know, decades and decades. He's a man that lived, proclaimed, testified, urged to the very point that he urged with his life, and he was a martyr for the faith. He became a martyr. If that's not gonna urge someone to faith, I don't know what else will. See, we have to come into this reality that God has called us to testify this Christmas. We are sent by him. We are to testify to him. We are to urge people with how we live, how we speak. My wife was talking to me about a situation. I will not share the details, but I'll just say this. Somebody said to her, man, you had a chance to do something and behave in a different way and you chose to, I've known you for over a year now uh, in in the context of our relationship and you never once said this about this person or that person and you never did any of that. What kind of Christian are you? Like, wow, I need to know how to, you know, behave and treat people the way that you are. I've met other Christians that they don't, they don't uphold people's character and integrity in that fashion. And I said to her, praise God, because that is you through your actions and your character, urging somebody to come to know the one who changes our heart and sets us on a different path and calls us to live different and to behave in a new way, the way of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. God has called us to urge people, proclaim it in how we model, how we pray, how we live, that people might come to make the real decision by God's grace to turn to him in faith. We are testifying of him. The matter of witnessing is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. It establishes truth. It gives ground to faith. It's what John was doing in the wilderness. It's what Jesus calls us to do as his disciples. Yet witnessing does something more it commits a person. If I take the stand in the witness box and I testify that such and such a truth happened, I'm no longer a neutral party, I'm committed. I have committed myself and there are people such as John who have committed themselves to the witness of Jesus Christ. My question is, have we committed ourselves to being witnesses for Jesus?